0: You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with the healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am one of your hosts, Cameron Steinheimer, and
1: I am the marketing manager here at Pacific Companies. Welcome to an exciting edition of the Doc Lounge Podcast brought to you by Pacific Companies. I'm Stacey Doyle, your host and Senior Director of Marketing at Pacific Companies. Get ready to explore the incredible impact of powerful partnerships in today's episode. We've got an insightful series lined up for you, showcasing the remarkable synergy between a physician recruitment agency like ours and our valued clients, together conquering the nationwide physician healthcare shortage. We have a special guest joining us today, Michelle Mabry, Director of Physician Recruitment and Retention at CHI Mercy Health in Oregon. We'll delve into the critical collaboration between a health system and a recruitment firm truly making a difference in healthcare. Our esteemed colleague, Strider Murphy, R.V.P. of Business Development at Pacific Companies, will also be sharing his insights. Don't miss this opportunity to learn, engage, and be inspired. And with that, we'll kick off. Thanks, Stacey. So
0: I am the Director of Physician Recruitment and Retention at CHI Mercy in Roseburg, Oregon. I've been here for a little bit over a year and a half. Prior to that, I was a physician recruiter in Southeast Oklahoma and also a very rural part of the country. Um, And previous to that, I actually worked in public health. I served on the Oklahoma Public Health Association Executive Board. And we really work towards uh, access to health care and funding opportunities to help draw physicians uh, through student loan reimbursement into more rural
1: areas to create better access to health care. Love that. It's a fantastic background. And Strider, just if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself as well.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. My name is Strider Murphy. I'm the Regional Vice President of Business Development and uh, been in this industry since about 2008. Um, I started off as a uh, physician recruiter myself with Pacific Companies and uh, being from a small town in Alaska, I was usually the one that was working the uh, small rural communities um, as far as a recruiter goes. Um, had a great career as a, a recruiter working about 10 to 12 years in that space, uh, eventually became the uh, vice president of recruitment and, and had a, a team of Underneath me that I helped train and, and cultivate and, um, and worked throughout mainly the Pacific Northwest and the, and the Midwest uh, states as far as my territory. A couple of years ago, I went into the business development side where I remain now, and I cover the Pacific Northwest and Mountain West states.
1: Love it. Well, would love to just, you know, give our audience some insights into, you know, why why people go into, you know, physician recruiting and, and staffing. Um, Obviously, you guys are doing it, you know, at different, you know, places, one on the agency side and one internally at their healthcare system working with, you know, an agency like Pacific Company. So just would love to learn, you know, what what gave you that interest into the career path?
2: Sure, I'll start. Um like most I think uh, I think it's funny because I've asked this question to other people you kind of just fall into it you know it's not something that you typically search for or know that it even existed so that's how I that's what happened with me um I do have a medical background I was a, a medic in the air force for 5 years um I worked in the medical surgical unit and I worked in the emergency room and then I was a flight medic for about a year and a half so um I didn't follow the medicine side of it but I I went into sales and this was sort of a nice, uh, you know, kind of molded, molded the two together. Um, it was back in two thousand eight uh, when uh, the economy was going through some struggles, and I had a friend that worked for Pacific Companies and was sharing with me about this opportunity, and uh, that's how I got into it. and And I quickly uh, uh, fell in love with it. Um, it was just, um, you know, I, I, at first I was the sports agent for doctors. I thought in my head, but then I I soon learned how How important this this role really is, and what we were doing and and over the years of working in certain communities for five, six, seven years, communities like Ridgecrest, California, or King City, these small communities, and placed multiple visit- physicians over there over the years, it was you know we have a big responsibility here, and we've we're literally helping that community and that hospital have access to care that otherwise would not exist so that's how I got into it. And I don't can't see you doing anything else at this point in my life.
1: Michelle, how about you?
0: Yeah, I had a really similar experience. So like I mentioned, I, you know, worked in public health, I was really focused and had a high interest in locations that were food deserts or healthcare deserts, as, um you know, one of the terms that they use for rural areas that are really underserved uh, in their healthcare care needs. Uh, interestingly, I had kind of gone down this nonprofit public health uh, side when I had actually uh, majored in human resource management. So I had a business degree and uh, really working in human resources, and I didn't think I wanted to go down that path. I also had a little bit of background in sales and marketing and so Uh, really kind of everything aligned when the opportunity came up to step into a physician recruitment opportunity. Since taking that position, it is such a fulfilling role whenever you're working with a particular physician and they're looking for, uh, you know, better work-life balance or working, looking for a better cultural fit uh, for them and their families. When you find a physician that's really passionate about giving back and serving a community um, in a rural area, there's just so much fulfillment that I have um, in my position when we kind of marry those, um, you know, aspects. I think another thing that Strider talked about that couldn't be more true, um, especially for an in-house recruiter. You're typically living in the community where you're staffing physicians. And so when you see that access to care and you see those um, different specialties or different services available to your community, you truly see um, the impact that you're making on your community. Not to mention, in most rural areas, healthcare is starting to surpass um, industry. <laughs> and so, you know, it also ends up being a huge economic driver for our local communities. And so seeing the community support and, um, you know, different people in the community come out to support the hospital is also really fulfilling.
1: Quick question, because some of our audience might be, you know, wondering what is a rural, you know, community or rural physicians, because that's specifically what we're going to focus a little bit o- about today. Um, obviously, people know that, that you know, what rural stands for, but kind of explain from a recruiting standpoint what, what that means. I think every area
0: can look a little bit different. You have rural. In our case, we have a 175 bed facility, but we're the only location within a 70 mile radius of our town uh, for, you know, our hospital. So there's health care. There's maybe primary care facilities um, in between that. But as a hospital, we're really it for a large portion are a large area. Rural recruitment, though, can get as far into, uh, and Strider can probably talk about that a little bit more. I've only uh, worked for two organizations, but in both cases, rural recruitment really meant the difference between, you know, having uh, specialties within maybe a two-hour driving distance out of any location. So that's what rural recruitment has meant for me. Interesting from a
2: recruitment standpoint, when I'm speaking with a provider, I like to try to ask them what they consider is rural, you know, and understanding a little bit about where they're from, maybe where they were born and raised, maybe where, you know, they went to training, you know, to get a little bit of background for them. And, and, you know, I've had instance where a provider says, well, I need an airport, you know, within an hour from me. I said, okay, why is that? Well, I travel back to wherever it is, you know, my family lives. Oh, how often do you go? I I usually go about once a year. I said, oh, okay. So, so I'm trying to understand, you know, a little bit where they're from, what are you used to as far as your community? What was your size? You know, it's interesting. I live in Southern California now, but grew up in a town of 3000 people, but we all we all live within about two miles or five miles of our home. We go get our haircut over here. We go to the bank here. We you know we go to the grocery store here. We all live in this little you know kind of pocket. So whether that is a pocket of a large metro or a pocket of a rural community, and having those amenities and such like that, and trying to understand that. So try to qual- qualify that question with a provider to see the see if they're comfortable with that because the last thing you would want to do is to put somebody that is used to having all these amenities that you would find in a in a bigger city or metro and then they could be it could be a culture shock for them to to move to a smaller community and so understanding a little bit about their background and things like that or maybe they're at a position in their life that they're ready for more of that type of feel so that's a relative question compared to who you're speaking with to me
0: that's a good point, Strider. I think role of recruitment or the pull that some physicians have in serving a community is they do typically see their patients out at the grocery store or, um, you know, you're, you see people out at your kids' basketball games. And it's really more of a community approach to medicine. Also, if physicians are really looking to serve a community, uh, you know, typically in rural areas, there's less access to health care. There's more people living below the poverty line. There's more people with poor health. And so if you're looking to really have a patient population that you can serve and that you want to be integrated with and you really want to feel like you're contributing and making a difference, um, rural patients tend to be more compliant. So, uh, you know, they listen to their doctors absolutely. a little bit more. They, they have more you. of an implement. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they have more of an intimate relationship with their physician. So when you find someone that is really looking for, um, you know, more of a practice that's fulfilling them in those ways, that can be an excellent candidate in a rural area.
1: I love that because I was just going to ask for all of our, you know, physicians that are listening What is, you know, what is something that, you know, you would say is an advantage or or how would you typically sell a physician about, you know, joining, joining your community? So
0: one of the big things is just work-life balance. And that doesn't necessarily mean what it looks like in a day-to-day in the office, but commuting back and forth from the facility, uh, the location, you know, not serving three different hospitals in a really large area where you're battling traffic, um, you know, having that really intimate relationship with your office staff and knowing the same people that are going into surgery or going into procedures. Uh, We don't have, you know, five different call teams. We have the same type of call team that will be serving you. You get to know them intimately and know their uh, capabilities, know their interests. So it is just a more intimate approach. It's a better work-life balance. It's a lot of times more stable. Um, When you're going into the office as well, you know, in really large healthcare systems, uh, physicians tend to have those appointments booked out, maybe 30-minute new patient appointments and 15-minute regular appointment, whereas here we expect our doctors to take a little bit more time with our patient population and spend more time getting to know them and getting to know their previous history. So you know, whether it's work-life balance, whether it's overall uh, just ability to spend more time with your patients, um, knowing everybody on an intimate level in the hospital. I think those are all big points of why people look at our facility specifically.
1: I love that. And I, you know, I, I keep hearing, obviously we, in, in the news, there's a lot of, you know, um, coverage around just everything, you know, post-pandemic with, you know, physicians and all that they really deal with from a day-to-day standpoint, um, you know, from just you know burnout with just you know um, a lot less staff available, you know, their mental health. I really would love to hear a little bit about you know how both of you guys think about that when you're when you're speaking, um, you know, with physicians, um, and if there's anything specifically, you know, that you guys are doing to address some of these things that have you know really bubbled up um, that that physicians are, are dealing with from a day-to-day standpoint. You
2: know, I would say from a recruitment standpoint again, and I'm putting my recruiter hat back on from from the years that I did that. But um, when we go through uh, as as a provider, maybe interested in an opportunity in Roseburg, Oregon, or wherever it may be, getting a good understanding of what their current day to day is wherever they are. They may be coming out of training; they're working very hard in training, typically, and they're out in the, in the world, world and, and they're working just as hard or as harder. So, understanding. What is their 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 volumes of patients per day that they're seeing? Are are they spending evenings charting till nine o'clock at night? Are they getting calls consistently throughout that? You know, maybe they're making a great income, but is their 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 you know quality of life or quality of practice where they want it to be? You know, one of the things interesting about working in a rural community sometimes you don't have as much subspecialty support. Um, they may kind of come and go. You certainly can pick up the phone. They always have relationships like you do with OHSU there, and you always have that support. But as a physician, being a you know, an independent you know practitioner and wanting to see um, a good pathology and, and a good amount of different cases that are interesting and to help the the body, mind, everything, functional medicine, wherever you want to take that, the ability to do those types of things in a smaller community, is is there when you're in a big city you've got 30 doctors that are doing the exact same thing and you know it's everybody's vying for a piece of the pie so um i think that that's an important piece as well
1: Michelle can you tell us more how um CHI Mercy Health is is dealing with you know a lot of the physicians today and kind of what they're dealing with in terms of you know, burnout, mental health, and how how you guys really approach that when you're speaking with them and trying to recruit them to to come work um, at your facility.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think the pandemic and so many factors weigh into physicians who are really looking at a better work life balance. They're looking at maybe working alternative schedules. So I think that's an excellent uh, thing that. We do very well. Uh, Our administration and our physicians really work collaboratively. Uh, Sometimes physicians want to take a month off to be able to travel overseas and see family and do different things. And we really look at how we can collaborate within our team and cover those days, but also be more flexible. Uh, We have, uh, we're opening up a brand new behavioral health unit. Sometimes it can be really challenging to staff a 12 bed unit with only two providers, but we're looking at doing a seven on seven off schedule or a 14 on 14 off schedule. Our hospitalists are coming in and our nocturnists will be taking night call. So there's different things that you can do as a facility. And when the physicians and administration really come together like they do at our facility, we can really create those opportunities for more of a work-life balance. Um, and I think that's what physicians are looking for. You know, they long gone are the days when physicians want to come in and burn both candle or burn the candle at both ends. They're really looking to have that quality of life to be a physician, but also to have self care. I know recently we uh, recruited a hand surgeon that, that told me, you know, and this goes back to something that Strider referenced. You know, he woke up at 5 a.m., went into, um, uh, you know, went into surgery at 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, finished the end of the day. Then he had a private practice where he was doing payroll and managing a private practice. And it was 8 or 9 o'clock before he wrapped up his day. He had a small child at home and a family. You know, he was really wanting to uh, look at that work-life balance, and it just wasn't an opportunity for for the demanding area that he was in. So we take a very different approach. We offered him a better call schedule. We offered him the ability to come into a hospital employed model where we would manage staff and manage the overall aspects um, so that he didn't have to uh, deal with private practice. And so that was a huge win for him because he had more of that work-life balance.
1: That's a great, yeah, that's a great story. And I think that is so, you know, important that we talk about right now, really this, you know, recruitment and and really making sure of the physician's total, you know, well-being and and really kind of that, you know, balance of, like you're saying, the work-life balance. And I know there's also a whole side of, you know, a focus on retention. So obviously once you recruit somebody, then how do you retain them and and, and have them, you know, satisfied and fulfilled with their work and and with their workload and i know there's a few things that um i think are pretty cutting edge that you know chi mercy has you know put in place that i'd love to hear a little bit about um as well michelle yeah so we're
0: doing some of the really standard things that i think are excellent industry-wide so when a physician comes on with us we are pairing them with a mentor so whether it's in their same specialty or whether it's a like-minded individual in the community, maybe someone that is uh, the same age or uh, kids of the same age, something to do with that, we are pairing them with a mentor to help them navigate our uh, health care system, but also kind of introduce them and navigate the community as well. Uh, we typically extend our onboarding efforts a year into the the. Uh, candidate being here. So we'd love to um, really make sure that they're integrating well, that their uh, spouse is integrating well. We have an outstanding outreach coordinator that goes into the community to make sure that our primary care physicians are aware of maybe a new specialty coming on uh, so that their referrals and they're able to really build that practice quickly Uh, One of the most innovative areas that I feel that we do that is excellent in retaining staff, uh, here locally, we are in a rural area, and so we don't have a lot of opportunity for ancillary income or investments um, in healthcare in our area. We don't have an ambulatory surgery center. One of the really creative things we've done is we've created an MSA with our physicians, a management service agreement where we have asked our surgical physicians and anesthesiologists to help us manage not only our outpatient surgery center, but our inpatient surgery center. And this is, you know, some people may not think of it as a retention effort, but it really does create so much buy-in and so much participation and engagement from our physicians and really makes it a physician-led initiative. So it gives them a lot of autonomy to be able to look at the schedule, look at the utilization efforts, look at the quality initiatives that are in place and work as a team outside of maybe their partnership with administration to really develop a uh, well-balanced inpatient and outpatient surgery department. So that is something that is excellent With that, the physicians have also created a billing company, so they also receive 6% of all billing for our outpatient surgery center. And so the way that our physicians are compensated for their engagement in this process is they are actually, they participate in the overall management by attending meetings and attending Um, quality initiatives or reaching certain areas. And so the physicians actually have a pass-through income from their efforts of managing that. So while we don't have an ASC, we have taken a really creative approach to allow the physicians to really have that autonomy that they're looking for, to have that physician leadership in place um, and not have an administrator come in and kind of dictate how things are run and it's also created a income platform for them outside of their um, normal physician income.
2: I, I have to share that from a recruitment standpoint, that is such a, an amazing um, thing to share with a potential candidate because what it does is it, it gives you the benefits of sort of working almost like in a private practice or having your own um, ancillary income coming in without the administrative uh, hassles, uh worrying about the reimbursements, you know, worrying about your overhead and such like that. And those are though, you know, the ancillaries that that Michelle's talking about are are some of the the reasons that a, a provider will look to to having a private practice or being in a partnership with other providers of that. So to be in an employed model, still getting those ancillaries, still having um um, a conversation, to being being a part of it, being a part of the decision-making process and having a voice there is is such a key thing and is a, a really, it, it's a testament if you'll look at Roseburg and the staff that has been there for many, many years. And there's a reason why, not just because of this piece, but this is certainly one of many that, that keeps them um, uh, ingrained in, in their, with the, with the uh, organization.
0: And that's just one example of how we've really, you know, integrated a physician-led approach into our culture. And, you know, I can think of a lot of other examples, but having a physician know that they will have a say, they'll be a part of the decision-making ability. In rural areas, we're looking for physicians that can really take ownership of their practice, that can step into those leadership roles. Uh, We do have leadership um, uh, programs that they can go through to help uh, adopt some of those physician leadership uh, qualities. But, you know, that's something that candidates are looking for when they're in a, a really large healthcare system or a metropolitan area. Sometimes they don't feel that they have a say. They may not even ever meet with the person that's making decisions that are trickling down to their department. They don't have the ability to really be engaged or to have a leadership position on the medical staff or in one of our um, other areas. And so I really love that we're able to take physicians and not just grow them, you know, within their practices, but also look at the broader aspect and develop them as they step into their leadership abilities as well.
1: I, I mean, I love that. I love hearing about that. It sounds like such an innovative approach to really, you know, attract people and really keep them engaged, and and really feel like, you know, their their contribu- contributions from an admin, you know, perspective, you know, really, really is equally weighed with, you know, kind of what with the compensation model that you you described. Um, I I really would love now, you know, I think some of our our listeners are probably saying you know, I'd love to work there. This sounds great based off of what, you know, everything that you guys both described. How can they stand out? How can physicians stand out if they are applying, you know, to some of these rural communities or, you know, to CHI Mercy Health? How can they stand out and and, and maybe also touch on if they're, you know, a, a new a new resident?
0: So I know when I'm interviewing candidates, I'm looking for specific interests in the area. So, That's always something that stands out to us. So if they're from a rural area, if they're from the Pacific Northwest, if they have similar interests, you know, here we have some of the best fishing in the United States. We have hundreds of miles of hiking trails and waterfalls. We have over 40 vineyards in our little community. We have uh, all types of really interesting things that makes our area unique. I think for a candidate, if you can do a little bit of research, if you're really interested in the area, don't shy away from just talking about your abilities and your clinical skills. Also really focus on being a good fit culturally for the area and your interest in that specific community. That always takes a candidate, you know, really far in my mind. Um, another area that I kind of touched on is just having those, that ability to to take ownership of your practice. You may be one in three or one in five physicians. And so while still appreciating that mentorship aspect that we provide, also really wanting to make a difference and step into those practices, having a really broad skill set. So if you've trained or if you've worked in an area where there's a lot of sub, sub, sub specialized physicians, I think Strider mentioned this earlier as well, Uh, You know, that's actually a disadvantage to sometimes coming into a rural market. I always uh, correct people that say, oh, well, they're just a rural physician. Rural physicians are amazingly skilled. And a lot of times they're looking at people who have not had a lot of preventative care. So there's the maybe a higher acuity level of patient interaction they're having to know a broader spectrum of their specialty because there's maybe not another subspecialist that's available in our facility. So I am looking for someone that has a broad interest um, that's wanting to do more bread and butter, uh, but also looking for that broad interest to make sure that they would be a good fit for our facility and our patients as well.
1: Love that. Um, Would love just to hear, obviously, you know, we've heard, you know, in the news, again, about the the shortage of healthcare providers um, and just, you know, where that's impacting, you know, really nationwide. And I know very much um, so on the primary care side of things. Are there certain areas there you're, where you're really focused um, on recruiting right now um, that, you know, impacts the rural areas a little bit more? Obviously, you're just talking about how, you know, subspecialties may not be you know, something that is, you know, um, as needed because they may need to flex into different um, roles. But I would love just to hear your insights there.
2: You know, I read a stat the other day that 45% of physicians are 55 and older. So with our aging population, obviously that's trickling down to our physicians as well, right? So, you know, the the rural communities over the, the past 10 or so years have, when we talk about subspecialty support, have actually grown you know, we didn't used to have gastroenterologists in in a in a community of thirty thousand, and and now we have them all over. There's several there in in Roseburg, um, and they've got a great great team uh, there as well. But you know, you know, we're seeing we're seeing some things that are changing. Obviously, um, we're we're more reliant on nurse practitioners and physicians' assistants as primary care as we've ever been because of our lack of primary care providers because of the growth. In um, our expansion of uh, service area, you know, from from you know, the communities are getting larger and people are spreading out, and we need more access to care. So, so that's a, that's been a challenge. Um, internal medicine, I'm sure we're all for, uh, familiar with. What you know, that's the first step from being to being a cardiologist or a endocrinologist or whateverologist you you can think of. So, many in, internal medicine physicians are going into that subspecially or they're going into hospitalist medicine and um, and that's been a big kick in the last couple of years and so our aging population where we need a lot of help in outpatient internal medicine and geriatric care is limited because our amount of candidates in that are are, are dwindling essentially so we're seeing um, more primary care family medicine physicians that are seeing more uh, adults and 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 geriatric population than we've ever seen before as well so you know, uh, um, there's the the struggle to find good physicians is not going anywhere, it, it, it's unfortunate. Um, the amount of uh, uh, medical schools that we have available and the amount of slots in the United States are are small. Um, there there's certainly legislation out there, and they're trying to do things to to improve that, but it's not going to be a quick fix. And and so we're that's why I was sharing we're some now relying on some of these other uh, mid-level support uh providers and there's some phenomenal mid-levels out there doing some amazing things and, and there it's their time to shine and some of that but you know they they have not gone through the some of the training that you know uh you would go in a in a traditional residency so their training sometimes will be on the job type of thing so it may take them some time to to get ramped up and and get moving and be in a position to be able to care for for uh for folks
0: so I think Strider made a really good point. Uh, rural healthcare is not going um, or rural recruitment is not going to get any easier. I saw a study from 2019, so a little bit dated, but only 5% of medical students are coming from rural areas and only 1% I indicate that they want to serve in a rural area. So, you know, in the future, we really have to do a better job of attracting more students and more, um, you know, candidates that are from rural areas into uh, health care and into medicine. And so I'm hopeful that we'll continue to do that. I also see an emerging trend in rural areas for telehealth support. And so whenever you can supplement some of your specialty lines by also providing that telehealth, or having an, a physician that maybe lives in a metropolitan area, but then travels down um, on occasion to see patients. More of those partnerships with uh, health within healthcare uh, to be creative um, for covering your your organization is critical. And I'm just really proud of our administration and our physicians in taking those creative approaches, taking those. Um, you know any opportunity for us to be collaborative and creative on how we can uh, cover the community. I'm just really proud to be a part of an organization that's taking that approach.
2: No, I think you hit it right on. You know, I and mean, there's some, some good things here. One thing I, I did want to mention: you, know, we talked a little bit about retention earlier, and um, uh, you know, getting that provider, their spouse, or family members ingrained in the community. Um, that starts from the interview. It starts really from the first kind of client calls that you have as a outside recruiter working for Michelle, if I was her recruiter and I was going to send a candidate over, understanding, you know their um, what they're looking for professionally, financially, geographically, quality of life, quality of practice, all those types of things, really getting a good understanding of that, sharing that information with Michelle, and then she goes on to the next level and gets uncovers more. And so setting that interview up when the provider comes out there to meet with like-minded people that maybe have something in common with them and kind of getting them ingrained right away um, is important. That's you know that's why I love, um, you know, nobody calls me looking for Kotzebue, Alaska, or nobody calls me really looking for, what do you have in Roseburg, Oregon? I don't get those calls very often. Every once in a while, I, I get lucky and I, I would get something like that. So most of the providers that we're talking to have never they've never heard of our community. They've never been there. Maybe they've been to Portland or maybe they've, you know, Seattle and they have their idea of that. But I, I feel like if there's good commonalities and we can get them there and then they meet the people and they start um, getting ingrained with that. And um, it, it's, they'd be a pretty surprised of what they, what they see. And, you know, one of the things that we try to do as a firm is, is try to get, do most of that heavy lifting up front, right. Trying to gather all that information and, and so when we send them over to Michelle our cl- our client there and sort of an affirmation mission and they can work to kind of close some of those doors and some of those gaps but as soon as you can get the provider their spouse any of the family members ingrained into that community that retention piece is going to be uh that's where it that's where it holds on and that's where you know it's concrete um so you know um i i i'm excited to you know We talked earlier on about the the reasons that we want to work in a small small town and access to care and stuff. Early on in my career, as I shared with you, kind of thinking you're the agent to the doctors, but over the years and getting older and having kids and things change and you learn a little bit more about life and how important what we do truly is. And and I, I try to go into every community that I work in as it's my own. If my mother was to go see the cardiologist or Family medicine provider in this community. That's the kind of doctor that I want to help bring to this community. And if we have that attitude instead of just a number and trying to make a you know fill a position um, and have that personal touch, um, you know you'll you'll bring good long term providers in there for you and and really build something. So yeah, thank you for the opportunity to to work with you all. I, I appreciate that. So we're lucky to be in our and to do what we do.
0: Pacific Companies has been an outstanding partner for us. We always know that you guys are going to take a personal approach. You definitely interview the candidates with the mindset of screening for quality, but also screening for uh, all of those, you know, areas that you mentioned to be a good fit. And so it's really been a, a wonderful experience working with you guys. Thank you.
1: Michelle, I would love to hear a little bit more just about, you know, your experience with um, obviously working with a Pacific Companies recruiter and just their approach in general.
0: Yeah. So I work with Teddy Duran. Uh, He has been amazing with us. And we were actually just talking today about the importance of really being transparent with candidates. That is the main strategy that I take in recruitment. I don't want someone to be expecting to apply to a position in Portland or San Francisco, and then I get them on the phone and it's actually a rural market, I really think that candidates today are looking for that transparency. They're looking for a lot of details up front. So trying to tailor any messaging that we have to be very upfront about the benefits of the position and also you know, clear expectations of the position so that we don't waste the candidates' time and we're getting more qualified candidates that are truly engaged in our process and interested in our position.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I I think that's a good point, Michelle. It was, um, I worked up in Alaska for years doing some physician recruitment, and um, I had heard stories from when I took over this client of a, a doctor that flew out there got off the plane and literally went back on the plane because he, he didn't know what he was getting into. And, and you know, this was up in a very rural area up in Kotzebue, Alaska, you know, it's kind of almost like a gravel pit and then there's the Bering Sea. And so when I'm on the conversation with a provider, like this is what you're going to get. and in the, in the summertime, it's light out. In the wintertime, it's dark and it's cold. And, you know, and and let's tackle, let's have these conversations up front. Let's have proper expectations you know, that you can know. Obviously, there's some phenomenal benefits that we have for working here in an underserved area. And this was a doctor that was interested in working with, he did Doctors Without Borders, and he would go overseas. And I said, well, doctor, I have that right here in the United States. I have people that need just as much as what you're doing over there. And that was his draw to those type of people. So finding that, you know, kind of connection is so important. But, you know, It, the amount of time and money and resources it takes to put together an interview and for someone to come out there that really has different expectations or wasn't, the information wasn't shared, uh, correctly, uh, is a big, uh, a big issue. It can be a big challenge. Um, Chris Call, who, who runs our recruitment side and training, he trained me back in 2008. And one of the things he said was, um, uh, physicians practice evidence based medicine and we practice evidence based recruitment. That is what we do here differently. So I'm glad that you had a good experience with Teddy and that he's sending people over that that understand uh, those types of things, but still giving the really positive outlook and overview of your community and the practice and getting them engaged because they don't really know until, you know, if they kind of get there and and, and fill it out for themselves. So good feedback.
0: Absolutely. There's a lot of recruiters now that kind of do a bait and switch too. They'll promote um, inaccurate compensation packages that have rolled up different benefits and things. They've, you know, really taken an approach to, and I don't mean to bash anyone in the industry. It's a very competitive and it takes a really special person to step in uh, to do in-house or agency recruitment. But You know, physicians are looking for more transparency. They're looking for compensation expectations up front. What are the number of call days? What other specialties do you have now that are supporting, not will you have in the future? And so I think just taking that honest and transparent approach really comes across. It also really translates better into the negotiations of the contract and into their overall impression once they do come onto our facility. I think you made a good point earlier, Strider, when you said that uh, retention really starts with recruitment. It starts from uh, the first time that you talk with a candidate, you're giving them an impression of your organization throughout the recruitment, throughout the negotiation process, throughout the onboarding process. The candidate really knows if it's going to be a long term um, fit for them. It's not in year two when they're making that decision. I really think the most impressionable time for them and your organization is through that process in the first few months that they start their position.
2: Absolutely. And what we say to them up front in our initial phone calls about either it's the compensation or the contract or the call or whatever it may be, and then they get on site, may go on the interview, that same information is shared. And now they start their practice and that same information is the same you know, if we if we you say bait and switch, if we say one thing and they go out in the interview and then they get the contract that's three thousand dollars less, what are they going to think? Or even if it's five thousand dollars less, what kind of organization is this? Are they going to change things on me in the eleventh hour? Do I have any control here? Those types of things. So we have to set our you know our, ourselves apart and and give that information accurately and upfront and that transparency. And that's what you'll find. In, in a community like Roseburg. And that's what you'll find at CHI, CHI Mercy Health. That's the difference. And, and you know, again, not to bash any organization, but there are organizations out there. Um, and, and a lot of times you'll find those in the major metros because there's so much competition and there's so much out there and people, they just want to be in the city for whatever reason it is. And they'll choose to take something that is um, less for what they really truly want uh, personally, and uh, they'll make that exception because of those reasons.
0: We even take it a step further. We are extremely transparent with our local physicians. So if we're recruiting into a gastroenterology group, you know, 10 years ago when we recruited gastroenterology, it was a little bit lower pay, a little bit different structure, different expectation now to recruit that to our facility, it is so highly competitive. They understand that any physician coming in may be paid slightly above where, you know, their income is. Um, the expectations may be more or they may be looking for a different skill set, but they are, we're extremely transparent with them. And we make sure that everybody's on the same page in the recruitment process to make sure, You know, what our agency recruiter and partner is saying, what I'm saying, what our administration is saying, what the physicians are saying is cohesive enough um, to really paint a good picture for the candidate. And also the candidate sees that we have the buy-in from our physicians. We're not recruiting on top of them. We're not asking them um, to, you know, bring someone on that would make $100,000 more than them a year without their buy-in. To that process, so I really uh, love the the tone that we set from our department that um, really has set a precedent throughout the organization and through our recruitment process to have that transparency with our our local physicians and with the candidates.
1: Thank you so much, and I mean, any of our you know physicians that are listening, I mean, it sounds like such a fulfilling role to be able to make such a big impact in these rural communities. And so I really, really want to thank both Michelle, you know, at CHI Mercy Health um, and and Strider here at Pacific Companies for bringing, you know, all these insights into rural recruitment um, and just a lot of the, you know, um, opportunities that really, really lie for any physicians that want to make that move and take that next step in their career. Um, obviously at Pacific Companies, we are here to help with that process. And we have, you know, expert recruiters that will be personally matched to anybody that, you know, wants to reach out to us. So if that sounds of interest to you, you can reach us at, you know, pacificcompanies.com, or you can also give us a ring at 1-800-741-7629, and we'll match you with a personal recruiter um, and and, you know, really kind of show you all these opportunities that are available to you based off of your expertise and and your specialties. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for for, um, joining us today on the podcast. Really appreciate it and appreciate your time, uh, Michelle and Strainer.
2: Thank you so much. We appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Thank you to all of our listeners.
0: If you would like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest, please go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.